Hello, everybody. It's Jimmy Sano, your host of College Hoops Chat, our weekly college basketball radio show here at WVOX 1460 AM, my favorite radio station. We are in our summer format, which does open us up to talk about other subjects along with college basketball. Um, so we uh, will talk a little NBA playoffs later. I got two college guys who really closely follow the NBA calling at 830. All right, let me get into my issues first. Callers today, believe it or not, the record might be broken tonight. Kenny from Rye is on a plane coming back from his son's graduation. Speaking of college, Northwestern, his son is graduating. Kenny does not know if he will be able to call in. We'll find out very soon if a plane lands in time and Kenny can make a quick call. So our caller tonight is kind of open line. I put out uh, our number uh, and times people should call in. Hopefully they heard that uh, and they'll tune in. All right. So a couple things. We've talked an awful lot about the transfer portal uh, for the entire offseason. Since the Baylor Bears beat the Gonzaga Bulldogs in the national championship, we've been talking about the transfer portal. We finally got some real hard numbers this week to kind of look at um, as fans and analysts. John Rothstein, the great college basketball analyst on Twitter and uh, for CBS, posted on Sunday the following numbers. 1,663 men's college basketball Division I players put their name into the transfer portal. 1,083 found new teams. So that's good, right? Like uh, A player, college athlete, was not happy at the school they were at, put their name in the transfer portal, and they got a different opportunity at a different college. We're good with that. We're fine with that. But what we've been talking about here on the show was we didn't think the transfer portal was going to work, work for all athletes, all college athletes. Uh, we were concerned that some stu- one, some players, some students would be left behind. And that's exactly what happened. We've talked about it on this show for months. And here's the number. We finally got a number. 580 college basketball players who played Division I basketball last season who put their name into the transfer portal have not found a new team yet. That's 35%. That's more than one out of three college basketball players who played Division I last year uh, put their name in the transfer portal, have no place to play in a couple of months when the colleges go back to school. If most of those kids don't get a new team, they'll be out of college basketball unless their prior school takes them back. And what I'm reading and hearing and talking to assistant coaches, a lot of teams don't want them back. They've been in the transfer portal all this time. They've made other decisions. They've moved on from them. So they may not be able to go back to their old school, while at the same time, nobody wants them. They're going to end up in junior college, uh, maybe Division II or Division III, or out of college for a year. Might have to sit out a year. So I feel a little bad for those kids. They apparently uh, did not make a good decision entering the transfer portal. We're going to see what happens. But finally, we got some hard numbers, and I've been concerned about uh, the kids that got left behind, and the number is 580 right now. Probably will shrink, but that's the number right now. Okay, number two, I wanted to talk about what are the college basketball players doing right now? 
Okay, here we are on our summer college hoops chat show. What are, what's the rules for the summer? What are the rules? So we took a look. And the rules for summer college basketball on campus um, is that the players, if they are enrolled in summer school, and what I'm being told by assistant coaches is they're all en- enrolled in summer classes. Division one college basketball players, the vast majority are on campus right now taking summer classes. Uh, once that happens, the players come back and are enrolled in summer school. Uh, there's eight weeks of summer training allowed on campus with the coaches. Um, they're allowed eight weeks of training for each of these eight weeks with the coaches. Um, sometimes it's two to four hours of on-court skill instruction per week. Sometimes it's four to six hours of strength and conditioning per week. So it's different combinations. And they get two days off per week. Uh, and what I'm hearing is it's usually the weekend. So, um, and then the off-season, when they go back to school before the official season starts, similar rules. Um, eight hours of mandatory uh, training with the coaches a week. Just so you know, the regular season, it's 20 hours a week. So uh, it's interesting that uh, a lot of basketball is happening last year, which didn't happen last summer because of COVID. And that's why a lot of teams started very slow. A lot of teams with younger rosters had a tougher transition in COVID because they lost out in the usual summer sessions and the off-season sessions that are normally there. The kids are learning, playing as a team. The transfers are coming in and playing as well. A lot of these summer eight-week programs on all the campuses have the transfers uh, in right now. So they're all getting a lot of good basketball experience. Uh, And one other thing I wanted to mention, they're still allowed to voluntarily play. They can go and work out and play pickup games, strength and conditioning. So that's unlimited time. And from my understanding from the assistant coaches I've spoken to, the students that are on campus, uh, they actually enjoy the summer session. It's kind of easy compared to regular season where they're taking a full load of classes and they've got 20 hours a week of college basketball. So this summer's kind of fun, right? They're hanging out with the guys. They're, play, they're playing a lot of pickup basketball. They're working out together. Uh, they're having a good time. Lastly, uh, some teams are allowed to take a foreign tour with coaches. It's only allowed once every four, year, four years per school uh, where they can have multiple practices and games versus pro and semi-pro teams. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen with that because of COVID, but I know Iona is some buzz that we're hearing out there that is possibly looking to play in Greece this summer. So we'll see if that happens. All right, so if you ever wondered what's going on in the summer on college campuses with college basketball players, now you know. They're allowed eight weeks of summer training with eight hours of mandatory training with coaches per week. That's happening. Okay, another issue I wanted to talk about today, um, and it's uh, something that's happening kind of Uh, as we speak, is the NBA draft. Now, when I saw the number of how many players are currently available to be drafted because they put their name in the NBA draft, it's kind of astronomical. It's like 358. That's one of the numbers I saw, 358 players. Why is that astronomical? Well, only 60 people get drafted into the NBA. So that's like, close to 300 kids that put their, or I say kids, student athletes, that put their name into the NBA draft that are not going to be drafted. Now, 
Some of them will go overseas, uh, all over the world. There's the Australian Basketball League, the China Basketball League, France, Great Britain, Spain, uh, Greece, all over Europe there's programs. So a lot of players uh, will get a chance to play overseas, uh, but it's probably not what they hoped for and dreamed of, which was the NBA. And, of course, you have the G League. Uh, If you don't make the NBA but you're kind of close, you might get a shot at the G League. Uh, play there for a couple of years and see if you can move up to the NBA. So with that many players uh, currently have with their name in the draft, it's an interesting question is who's coming back to college, right? Uh, all 358 of them are not going to keep their name in the draft. Uh, they have until July 7th to pull out. That's the big day. July 7th, anybody who put their name into the draft, and here's the big if, If they did not hire an agent, they can pull their name out of the draft. For example, my son goes uh, to the University of South Carolina. He's calling tonight to talk about the NBA at 8.30. But his school had two very good players with their names in the draft. Keyshawn Bryant, a forward that can, uh, a great leaper, a good shooter, uh, 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 a great fast break guy, a really good college basketball player. And Jermaine Cousinard, a really solid guard, a very good guard, uh, who was all eight, uh, SEC freshmen last season. Well, that's two seasons ago. But both players that would make the team a lot better. So they put their name in the draft. They didn't hire an agent. And last week they announced they're going back to South Carolina. So now South Carolina, who looked like they were in trouble in basketball, well, they're going to be a lot better now, right? Because these two players came back. Well, what I just described to South Carolina Gamecocks is happening at schools all over America. There's a lot of really good players in the draft And it's unclear if they're going to come back and play college or stay in the draft and take their shot of maybe getting drafted, or if not, take a shot at the G League, or if not, going overseas to play in Europe or Asia. So who are some of these players that uh, people are talking about? Well, if I had to pick the one that I'm focusing on because he was so great in the NCAA tournament, that's Johnny Jusang on UCLA. Remember him? He was fabulous. UCLA, UCLA made that unbelievable run to the Final Four. He was the best player on UCLA. Some have said he was the best player in the tournament, uh, but he was great. Um, he has his name in the draft right now. I think people believe he's going to stay in the draft. He's a former five-star player that originally went to Kentucky as a one-and-done, ended up going to UCLA and kind of hit his peak there. Um, also, Cody Riley was another solid contributor on that UCLA run. Um is also uh, got his name in a transfer portal. We'll see what, what happens with both of those. Let's take another very interesting team. That's Ohio State. Why? There are two leading scorers at Ohio State. Dwayne Washington Jr. and E.J. Liddell. Excellent players. Both invited to the combine. That means they are getting looked at closely for the draft. Um, their names are in the draft. If they come back, right, Ohio State's a team in the top 10 in the country. If they stay in the draft, both of them, Ohio State may not make the top 25. I mean, that's how dramatic the decision is for Ohio State with Dwayne Washington Jr. and E.J. Liddell. Ohio State will still be good, but they'll still be a lot better with those two guys. All right, here's another school. Two really good players. Um, Kansas. Um, Ochai Agbaje and Jalen Wilson. Now, I think both of these guys should go back to college. I think they both need some polishing of their game. Uh, but they've got their name in there right now. And 
they both go back to Kansas. Kansas is a much better team. Also, Remy Martin, who transferred to Kansas, has his name in. It's also curious to see, does he stay at Kansas? Or does he go in the NBA draft and not do his transfer to Kansas? But think about that. Remy Martin, Jalen Wilson, and Agbaji. The three of those guys are playing for Kansas next year. They're probably a five, five, top five team, at least a, a top ten team. That's how big these decisions are about the NBA draft. Now let's do another one. Okay, here's here's one. Well, let's do uh, Ohio State's rival. Okay, Michigan, Michigan. All right, Hunter Dickinson, who was Michigan's leading scorer and rebounding uh, rebounder last year as a freshman, uh, a terrific player. Very, I was shocked all season when I watched Michigan on how smart of a player Hunter Dickinson was. Uh, he looked like a sophomore, a junior out there. Uh, I think he goes back to Michigan. That would be my guess. But I don't know. They also got a transfer from Coastal Carolina College, who was the Sun Belt Player of the Year, named Devontae Jones. So he transferred, but also put his name into the transfer portal. Does do Hunter Dickinson and Devontae Jones come back to oh Hunter Dickinson back to Michigan? Does Devontae Jones continue with his transfer and play for Michigan? Again, Michigan's a type of team. You get those two guys, they're in the top five, top ten players in the country. Be interesting to see what happens there. All right, let me do one close to home, okay? Because this is the one that I search for regularly because uh, I tell you honestly on the show who I root for, and I root for St. John's. Uh, we've had the St. John's coach call in. We've had St. John's fans call in. I'm a fan. Well, Julian Champagny was the best player in St. John's last year. He's one of the best players in the Big East last year. Um and he and his twin brother both put their names uh, into the NBA draft. His brother hired an agent, so he's in. But Julian did not. So some people say Justin has the higher NBA profile right now. Um, for instance, on the Sports Illustrated big board where they rank, they have Justin Champigny at number 37, Julian at 74. So if it's 74 means Julian's outside the draft. If that's the case, I think he comes back to St. John's. Um, So Julian faces a real critical decision. Let's face it, folks. This is a major decision for St. John's. Julian Champagny comes back to St. John's. Uh, They're a team that could be in the Final Four of the Big East Tournament. They're a team uh, that could be a threat to win the tournament. They're a team that could go to the NCAA Tournament and win a couple of games. Because I think Julian Champagny... um, and Pasha Alexander are that good as a twosome running that team. They brought, they brought some really nice transfers in. They have some other good players coming back. Um, St. John's, I literally think the decision on Julian Chapenny coming back will pretty much decide their season. I mean, that's really dramatic, but that's what I believe. If he's not there, St. John's is going to have a much harder time in the Big East. they got some good freshmen coming in at St. John's too. All right, so there's one I'm watching. Uh, North Carolina. Armando Baycott, another team I root for. I really like Armando Baycott. Really good player. A uh, lot of energy. He's got some real nice moves around the basket. Uh, he's a smart player. Uh, Someone that got really uh, better each year in his two years uh, at North Carolina. If he comes back, North Carolina could win the ACC. If he doesn't come back, I think it's a big blow to North Carolina. I really think North Carolina needs Armando Baycott next year. Um they have some nice players coming in, a couple of nice transfers, but Baycott would be their star big man. 
And to lose their star big man, who's got a lot of offensive skills in the paint, would be, I think, uh, very hard on North Carolina and their new coach, uh, UB Davis, who I'm, I'm wishing very well. I'm a big fan of UB Davis. So there's uh, two schools, North Carolina and St. John's, who I root for. And there's just one player that they really need to come back. I think they both come back, Armando Baycott and Julia Champagny, but we will see. All right? All right, let's do another one. Let's do another team that's uh, kind of dramatic. All right, how about uh, Maryland? Maryland has a really good team and got two big transfers. Way, uh, Way Hob out of Georgetown, I was shocked he transferred. And Rhode Island point guard Fats Russell. Two really good, solid college basketball players going to make Maryland a much better team. Problem for Maryland is their two best players, Aaron Wiggins and Eric Ayala, are in, the, are in the NBA draft right now. Those two come back with the players that are already there, plus the transfers, uh, Wayhob and Russell. That's a top 10 team at Maryland. If they both leave, it's probably a top 20, 25 team, but they're not a top 10 team, Maryland. So huge decision for these two Maryland players and will have a huge impact on what Maryland does uh, this year. Okay, here's an interesting one. Does everybody remember Oral Roberts? We already talked about Ohio State. Well, Ohio State got knocked out on a shocker in the first round of the NCAA tournament. And who did they lose to? Oral Roberts. Well, the star of Oral Roberts was Max Admus, right? Everybody saw him play. The kid was terrific. His name right now is in the draft. He's kind of uh, benefiting from all the notoriety he got by leading Oral Roberts, not only over um, Ohio State in the first round, but they won some other games in the um, uh, NCAA tournament, got into the six, Sweet 16. Um, I think he probably stays in the draft. He's a great player. He's a big scorer, and I think he looks like he's going to get drafted, um, so he'll probably stay in. Kevin Ab- Abenor was the other very good player in Oral Roberts. Maybe he goes back to Oral Roberts. I don't think he's quite a pro yet, but we'll see. But there's an interesting one. West Virginia, the West Virginia Mountaineers. If you watched them play last year, you saw Miles McBride and Sean McNeil, two solid guards. To, they could really shoot. Uh, they could really score. They're really good players. I mean, West Virginia is a way better team with both of them back. They're both in the draft. I don't know what will happen. I could see both of them staying in. I could see one staying in the draft, one going back to West Virginia. But if West Virginia gets both back, they're a, a great team, right? They're probably a top 10 team, at least a top 15 team. Uh, but they're, but what a difference West Virginia is next year if Miles McBride and Sean McNeil come back. All right, let's jump back down to the SEC. Uh, I watch a lot of SEC because my son goes to South Carolina, so I root for the South Carolina Gamecocks. And the one thing that was troubling to me last year, it's bad enough that's, that Alabama's great at football every year, and they win the national championship so often. But now they're great at basketball. And two of the best players on the team last year were Jaden Shackelford and Joshua Primo. We saw them play Iona in the first round of the NCAA tournament, our great local team under Coach Rick Pitino. And Iona gave them a game. Iona had a tie game with eight minutes to go in the game. Um, Shackelford and Primo are really good players. I mean, uh, they're two of the reasons why Alabama's kind of jumped from being a very good program to a great program under their excellent coach, um, Nate Oates. Uh, Nate Oates came from where I went to law school, University of Buffalo, before that. So they already lost Herbert Jones and John Petty, who are really 
solid, excellent players that were keys to that season last year. Uh, but if they lost Jaden Shackelford and Joshua Primo, despite the fact they got a lot of transfers, some good recruits, Alabama is a much worse team without Shackelford, Primo, Jones, and Petty all gone. So that's what a turning point for Alabama. I mean, here they are, a team right now, that if both Shackelford, Primo, along with the transfers and recruits they have and the players that came back, are still a really good team, a threat to win the SEC, a threat to win games in the NCAA tournament. If they lose Shackelford and Primo, maybe not. Maybe they drop back a little bit on what type of team they are. All right, over over to Virginia Tech, a school I was uh, I liked a lot. When I went to look at colleges with my son when he was applying to college, I loved Virginia Tech. It was one of my favorite colleges. Uh, Aluma, uh, their top-scoring player, a really uh, solid player. He was a top 10 in the AC in both scoring and rebounding, a 6'9 forward. Um, he's got his name in right now. Not sure what he does. He came with the coach. Uh, you know, their coach... Uh, is Mike Young, who came from Wolford to Virginia Tech. He came with him. Uh, Luma, we'll see if he comes back. He's excellent. Excellent play. If you watched Virginia Tech, you saw how good he was. Courtney Ramey at Texas. He's got his name in. I think he'll stay in the draft. Uh, Texas is loaded, uh, but we'll see what he does. Um, a couple other players I would, I would mention. Isaiah Wong. Miami's team has really fallen off in the ACC, University of Miami. But Isaiah Wong, Wong was great. 17 points a game, all ACC player. He comes back. Now they're a decent team in the uh, in the ACC. Miami. If Isaiah Wong stays in the NBA draft, Miami's going to be not so good at the bottom of the ACC. Here's one player that completely turns around uh, the team. Um, uh, another school that uh, is interesting is um, Oregon. Oregon got some big draft... Big transfers in, three big transfers in. We talked about it prior weeks on the show. Um, one of them's Davion Harmon. Uh, apparently, he's still thinking about staying in the draft. They got him from Oklahoma. Um, and Gurrier from Syracuse, another really good player. Um, and Eric Williams, who was on the team last year. Are those guys going to uh, go to Oregon? Because if Davion Harmon, Eric Williams, and Gurrier are all on the Oregon's team, they're a threat to win the pack. 12 and go uh, make a big run in the NCAA tournament. I don't know what's going to happen. But that's a team to watch. How much different their team will be if these players come back out of the drift. Arizona State lost a bunch of players to transfer. They also have Marcus Bagley who put his name into transfer um, and go in the NBA draft. So does he transfer? Does he he stay in the draft? Um, He's someone that has to polish his game. Um... That's an interesting question. I'm not sure. Now let me go back close to home again uh, as we're running out of time here. Buffalo. Two play, four players from my Buffalo Bulls went into the NBA draft. Two already pulled out. Javon Graves and Ronaldo Sagu. Uh, Janitha Williams and Josh Babala are still in. Please come back to the Buffalo Bulls. Please. I'm begging you guys because if all four players are back next year for Buffalo, they go to the NCAA tournament. All right. I just think I demonstrated to you how important the decisions are uh, for the NBA draft and who comes back to college. All right, folks, Jim Maysano, we're going on a commercial break. We'll be right back for the second half of College Hoops Chat.
Westchester's favorite morning show. I love the morning show. Good morning, Westchester, with Dennis and Tommy. Weekday mornings from 6 to 9, right here on 1460 WVOX. 1460 WVOX. Okay, folks, this is Jim Maysano on College Hoops Chat, and we're back for the second half of the show, and uh, rather than me cover the uh, entire show with uh, my sidekick, Kenny from Rye, I have two very bright college students, one uh, who goes to the South Carolina Gamecock uh, University, uh, Michael Maysano, my son, and Peter DiBiase, who's a Providence Friar, a, a school we watch very closely because of Kenny from Rye. And Peter. Guys, are you both there? Yes. Okay. Yes, we are. All right. So, Michael and Peter, thank you for joining the show tonight. We have a Gamecock and a Friar here today. And uh, I've, been, I've been enjoying the NBA playoffs. Watch some games with Michael the Gamecock. But um, I think I want to have you guys come in because you, you watch the NBA a lot closer than I do. Um, and I want to talk about a couple of things. So let's let's take yesterday's games and series that went on first, and I want you both to comment. So first of all, I want to ask you, um, there's not much to say, I guess, on the sweep. The Suns swept the Nuggets. It was pretty clear the Nuggets were not in the Suns class. So I guess my question to you both was how impressed are you uh, with the Suns, and do you think this is a team that could go all the way? We'll start with Peter the Friar. Oh, yes, Jim. I was very impressed with the Suns. Um I picked the Suns on my podcast before the NBA season uh, started, uh, before the NBA playoffs started, excuse me, to go to the finals to meet the Nets. And I think CP3, who's one of the most underrated point guards in the league and maybe all time, has done wonders with the team. Before this season, they weren't even uh, a playoff contender. Nobody really thought about the Suns. And then instantly he turned them into a title contender. We saw that last year with the Thunder who weren't supposed to be good, he turned them into a playoff team, and now he turned the Suns into a title contender. The farthest they can go is how long CP3 can stay healthy. If we can see the CP3 that we saw last night, who had 37 points, then this team will most likely be in the finals and can make a real run at the NBA championship. I agree with you, Peter the Friar. Uh, Michael the Gamecock, what do you have to say about that? Um, yeah, I agree. I think Chris Paul in, in all-time talks is very, very underrated. A lot of people don't think of him when they're talking about top five point guards. I think he, he should be indisputably considered one. Um, you know, you mentioned that you didn't say that the Nuggets were in the Suns class. I mean, it is important to remember Jokic got ejected in the elimination game, and they were without Jamal Murray, their starting point guard and second-best player of the whole series. I think the Nuggets are a great team in that next year. They're certainly a threat to watch out for. But the Suns, you know, looking forward, I think that they're, they should be everyone's favorites to come out of the West. I think they're the most well-rounded team. They have a great coach, and they're really suited for playoff basketball. Well, I think that's a fabulous analysis by both of you, and I agree with uh, Michael the Gamecock that had they had Jamal Murray, they would have given the Suns a much tougher uh, uh, playoff round. I don't know if they would have beat the Suns even with Murray, but it would have been closer. All right, let's go to the other series that's still going and got red hot yesterday. It's now 2-2, two to two, the Nets and the Bucks. The Bucks uh, held serve at home, won two games. Nets won at home, but now the Nets have to go to Game 5 without Irving and without Harden. Uh, this time we'll start with Michael the Gamecock. What do you think about that series? 
Yeah, so as you mentioned, uh, a, few, um, a few hours ago it was announced that James Harden won't be back for J- Game 5. Uh, they'll be without Kyrie Irving again, too. And I, I don't think it's looking great for the Nets uh, without at least one of those players coming back and playing. Their guard rotation is... They have some good back. Like, Mike James is a very good like backup guard in the NBA, but I, him playing starter minutes in the playoffs worries me a lot. And there's only so much Kevin Durant can do with just with the team that's around them. Uh, you know, a crazy stat, you know, 80% of the net salary cap is tied up in those three players, and two of them aren't playing. So, I mean, it just shows you, like, what is what the team's left with um, to play against a, a fully healthy Bucks team that is on fire and has won two games. Uh, it'll be really tough for the Nets to close this out without their guards. I agree. I think if Irving and Harden don't come back, I do think the Bucks win. But what does Peter the Friar think? Yeah, I like that point a lot. I think a lot of people kind of disrespected the Nets, uh, the Nets excuse me, the Bucks after the Nets were up two nothing. And I might have been one of those people. The national media definitely did. They kind of written off the Bucks after the first two games, and I don't understand why. And I was one of them. And I made, a, and I'm gonna be honest, I made a mistake on that. I think just because you have you have Giannis Antetokounmpo, who's a two-time MVP. There's not a lot of NBA players in the history of this sport that can say they're a two-time MVP. You have him, you also have Chris Middleton, you have a great coach, you also have Drew Holiday, and I think the injuries with the Nets, and I picked the Nets to win the finals and go to the finals before the season and even before the playoffs, and now I'm really worried. They did not look good in Game 4. Kevin Durant's going to have to play like an all-world player in Game 5, but they're also going to need um, Bruce Brown, Joe Harris, players like that caliber to make shots. You can't have a streak last night where they missed 10 straight threes in a period around the second and third quarter. That just can't happen. And the Bucks are in big control of the series. You win game five in Brooklyn, you're going back to game six in Milwaukee, and basically I think the Bucks would close it out. So if the Nets can somehow manage to win game five, then obviously it goes back to Brooklyn. But right now I am not confident in the Nets, especially because not having James Harden, who's missed the whole series, and not now not having Kyrie. So... This series was looking really good for the Nets about a week ago. We said the Nets were about to be in the conference finals, and now we're kind of flipping the other way. All right, Peter the Friar, outstanding analysis. Uh, now let me just give my two cents here, and that is I'm rooting for the Bucks. Why? Because I'm a Knicks fan, and I don't need the other New York team winning a championship <laughs> when my team's starting to get hot and get a lot better and improve. So go Bucks, go Bucks. Now speaking of uh, myself being a Knicks fan, one would have thought that my son would be a Knicks fan, uh, but my son gave up on the Knicks when they stunk for so long when he was a kid. I guess I understand that. So he adopted uh, the Philadelphia 76ers as his team. Well, they're playing right now. They're up 55-38 over the, uh, a very strong Hawks team that I've been impressed with. Um, uh, we're going to start with Peter's time because Michael is too jaded because he's a fan. Peter, it's 2-1. to one. Uh, Philadelphia is winning the series right now. Looks like they may go up 3-1. I guess it's looking like the 76ers are going to win the series. Yeah, I think I picked uh, uh, the Sixers to win in six against the Hawks. I I agree with you. I like the Hawks. I think they're a fine team. I don't think they're uh, a title contender team, but I think they're probably a piece away from being a title contender team. They looked really good against the Knicks, and I thought they could give the Sixers a little bit of trouble like they did in game one. But I had the Sixers in six probably going to be five or six. I like the Sixers a lot. I really do. But I still think, even though they had a great season, 
that if you take a fully healthy Nets team, which we might not see, so that's a huge factor. If we see a fully healthy Nets team and even a Bucks team, I still take them over the Sixers. But now with the Nets questions not having injuries and the Bucks, you never know. Sixers are primed to make the NBA Finals. I still like the Bucks a little more if we see a Bucks Sixers matchup. Obviously, if we see a Nets fully healthy matchup against the Sixers, I like the Nets. But I think the Sixers are doing great. I love Joel Embiid saying he's one of the best centers in the league. The problem with me is I know Ben Simmons has improved his offensive game, and he's a great defender, but you really know what you're going to get with Ben Simmons on a nightly basis on the offensive end. And I think Tobias Harris is really good, but we have seen in the last couple of playoffs him kind of go, kind of come and go. But I like the Sixers a lot. If Embiid can stay healthy, this team would be a great threat to either the Bucks or the Nets. So whoever they face in the conference finals, and they're going to be in the conference finals, I am 99% sure at this point. It's going to be a great matchup, even though I kind of like the other two teams just a little bit better at this point. All right, so let me say this before Michael the Gamecock gets to gloat about his great 76ers. I'm rooting for the 76ers because I like my son to be happy, uh, number one. Number two, I want the Hawks to lose after to beat the Knicks. So it would be all beautiful if uh, in my house <laughs> if the 76ers beat the Hawks. Michael the Gamecock, talk about your 76ers. Yeah, so the Sixers, I, I'm, I feel very confident that they'll close out the series over the Hawks. They're, they're just a better team. The Sixers are you know, a higher-caliber team than the Hawks are. The Hawks are a great team. They're all young, too. The team's only going to get better, and you know the, the future is very bright in Atlanta. But for Philly, I, I, almost, I said this last time I was on the show. I like their, the way they match up with the Nets better just because there's not a single player on the Nets who can guard Joel Embiid. Uh, his... Like the way he can dominate that team would be huge in a in a playoff series, um, and the Sixers also have like the wing depth defensively to kind of handle the superstars in Brooklyn. I will say with the Bucks matchup, it worries me that they have a very good like well-rounded defense that would be able to handle the Sixers and probably you know a little bit more consistent of an offense. Um, so Philly's had an interesting interesting position. I mean, obviously if they play a non-healthy Nets team, I feel like they're they should be looking good. They play a healthy Nets team. I, I still kind of like them, and then I don't know how I feel about them against the Bucs. It, it's, it's an interesting time to be a Sixers fan. You're very nervous because, you know, you don't feel 100% playing against either your opponents. You don't even know who you want to win between the Bucs and Nets. I would think the Bucs and Nets, from, I'm sorry, the Bucks and the 76ers, from what I've seen so far, would be an outstanding probably seven-game series. I think it would be a terrific series. Uh, I think it would be. It would be a great series. I think it would be a long series, too. I think... People would make fun of Giannis and Ben Simmons on Twitter quite a bit because of how many missed free throws there would be in that series. But it would be entertaining. All right, we got one more. All right, that's an, so I hope your 76ers do well, Michael. And if the Nets somehow get the next round, you better beat the Nets for me, okay? Now, one more series left. Do my best. Uh, thank you, Michael. Um, we have the Utah Jazz playing the L.A. Clippers. Uh, Utah is leading 2-1. They're playing at 10 o'clock tonight. Uh, i become kind of a... Jazz fan because I love Donovan Mitchell and he's a Westchester guy. Uh, Michael, you get to start this one. Uh, Jazz and Clippers, who's going to win this series? Um, I think as of right now that I'm leaning towards saying the Jazz are going to win this series. Um, I just feel like they've played more like a team throughout this whole playoffs. They've just they've looked better than the Clippers have. Um, the Jazz are just. They just—they seem like a team that's built like a team. They have a great coach. Like they're all bought in on the system. They remind—they're very similar to the Suns, in my opinion. Maybe just like a little less talented, I think. Um, 
But defensively, they're one of the best teams in the in the league. Rudy Gobert has been a force in the paint all season. I, I like them all over the Clippers, especially with Kawhi and Paul George seem to only like to play well in one half, and it's not at the same time. And I don't know how that's going to work for. All right, Michael, let's get Peter the Fryer in before we run out of time here. Yeah, I figured. Go, Peter. Yeah, Jim. Quickly, I I picked the Clippers to win in seven before uh, the playoffs uh, before the series start. I'm going to stick with it. I like to stick with my picks as best as I can. I do. I'm a little shaky at this point. This series is kind of going back and forth. But if the Clippers can get Game Four tonight, and I think they should get Game Four, I think it'll be a really interesting series. And then I think it's really tough to stop Paul George and Kawhi Leonard when they're at full strength. If they keep playing great, then they're going to be great. So I like the Clippers in seven. All right, you two are fabulous. You did a great job. I'm going to tell you quickly. Uh, I've got it. Bucks first, Seventy Sixers in next round, and the new team series. The Jazz against the Suns. That's my prediction, but thank you guys for coming on. You know you know your stuff. Thanks so much. Thank you. Uh, all thank right, you. guys. Uh, we're going to our, our commercial break. We'll come back for the final segment of the show to wrap up. Uh, I'm Jim Maysana. We'll be right back after this commercial. Start your mornings with radio's favorite morning team, Dennis and Tani, and Good Morning Westchester. Weekday mornings from 6 to 9, right here on 1460 WVOX. 1460 WVOX. All right, folks, we are back. It is Jim Maysano on College Hoops Chat, our fabulous weekly college basketball show here at WVOX. So great job by our two uh, college NBA analysts. They think they both should be on ESPN after that sterling performance, and I thank them for calling in and sharing their thoughts on the NBA playoffs. I think uh, they were uh, right on the money on, on their predictions. Okay. So if anybody wants to call, we have an open line for the last 10 minutes of the show. The number here is 914-636-0110. I'll say it again, 914-636-0110. You can call and talk about any sports issue uh, you'd like. Uh, It's an open line for the rest of the show. We'll see if Kenny from Rye gets off his plane. Uh, He's probably... uh, uh, landing right now and upset that he can't call in. So uh, waiting on Kenny from Rye. But in the meantime, 914-636-0110. Give us a buzz. Tell us what you think at some of the hot sports, sports issues of the day. All right, since we have no caller, I'm going to talk about my beloved Mets. Uh, I've been a Mets fan since I was like five or six years old. Uh, my first baseball cap was a Mets cap. Uh, all the first baseball games I ever watched or went to were the Mets. I've been rooting for the Mets my whole life, and I'll always be a Mets fan. But for a long time, it was really frustrating to be a Mets fan over the last decade because the Wilpons decided that they were going to uh, run the Mets uh, with one goal in mind, and that was not to win uh, baseball games. It was to pay themselves back from their Madoff debt. So for 10 years, I had a root for a team 
that was like a second-class citizen in the Major League Baseball. Uh, they didn't want to invest uh, a big market team-type monies uh, into the New York Mets, and they did go to that one World Series and went to that playoff uh, at the same time the following year, and, and that was it. Uh, we had a kind of a nice run because of really good players that came together. But other than that, it's been kind of a disaster for a decade with the Mets uh, and the cheapo Wilpons trying to pay themselves back and not have a winning team. But Steve Cohen shows up and buys the team this offseason. Uh, he's completely revamped uh, how the team is being run. He's investing into the team at every kind of level, whether it's analytics, whether it's training facilities, uh, whether it's staffing. He's done uh, everything you could want as an owner, Steve Cohen. I'm a huge fan. Steve Cohen, you're the greatest. And now, I, and I think a culture change happened in the organization because now the New York Mets are in first place. How about that? You change owners and you're in first place. New York Mets are 32-25. and 25. They're in first place by three games over the Philadelphia Phillies. Um, last night, they kind of had a stinker. After winning five out of six, they were on a nice roll. They had the lead late in the game and then the bullpen imploded. But I'm happy to tell you that as I look right now, the Mets are leading the Chicago Cubs 4 nothing uh, in the sixth inning. Home run by Dominic Smith. So let's hope, cross our fingers, the bullpen can hold this lead, unlike last night, uh, and the Mets can get another win. But look, the bottom line is this with the New York Mets. They've had devastating injuries. They may have had the most injuries of any team in baseball. But they kept finding a way to win. And that tells me about the heart and the guts of this team. Uh, they were bringing players in out of the minor leagues. They were bringing players off other teams' rosters that uh, those teams didn't even want. And they came in and produced and kept the Mets winning with a lot of injuries. And now everybody's starting to come back. Um, the team's looking stronger and stronger. And I, I don't see any reason why the Mets uh, will not um, make a great run to hold on to this NL East division uh, and represent that division in the playoffs. The Phillies are, will be following along, and they're three games back now, and the Atlanta Braves are five games back, and I could see uh, those two teams making a run. So the Mets got to keep winning and keep playing crisp, strong baseball. Uh, but you know what? With the kind of pitching they've had so far, Stroman's pitched really well. Uh, DeGrom is the best pitcher in baseball, one of the best pitchers I've ever seen in my whole life. Walker's been really good for the Mets. The bullpen's been solid, except for last night. Um, there's a lot to like with this Mets team. But outside of statistics, what I like about the team is how hard they fight, how they never quit, how injuries didn't derail them. you got to give this team credit at 32-25 and 25 in first place. Um, the Mets having a nice season. They've got a long way to go. But I do think uh, the Mets um, are going to make their fans really happy this season. I think they're going to hold on and win that division uh, and be a playoff team. And even if they didn't hold the division, I think they'll probably be a wild card. So let's go Mets. That's what I have to say uh, tonight. Uh, for you Yankee fans, it's been a tough season, right? You're 33 and 32. They're eight and a half games out. But the Yankees have the kind of talent that if they can turn it around, um, they could make a real run. Maybe they don't catch Tampa. I mean, they're 42 and 24. The Yankees are eight and a half games behind them, but they could catch them. Uh, Tampa's probably playing a little over their heads, um, but Boston's good too at 39 and 27. So you not only have to catch the Rays, uh, you have to catch the Boston Red Sox. And plus, the, plus, let's not forget Toronto Blue Jays are in third place. Yankees are in fourth place. So 
In baseball here in New York, I do think I wouldn't write off the Yankees. They still have a lot of talent. Uh, they can play a whole lot better. And I think they probably will play a whole lot better. Will they play well enough to make a run and win the division? I don't know. But I do think the Yankees will be in the playoff conversation in August uh, and September. But we'll see. But I know you Yankee fans are frustrated. I see it online. Yankee fans are very frustrated. They're not as happy as we Mets fans. Uh, but I've matured in my old age. When I was young, I hated the Yankees and I loved the Mets. I've now decided that I was not going to hate the Yankees. I'm not not exactly going to root for them, but I'm not going to root against them. And we have a, it's the other team in New York. And if they make the playoffs, so be it. It'll make a lot of New Yorkers happy. All right, so there is your baseball report here in New York. Um, but Tampa is one of the best teams in baseball. At, actually, they have the most wins in baseball. Uh, at 42 wins is Tampa. And the second most wins is Chicago White Sox at 41 wins. Oakland Athletics have 40 wins, as does uh, San Francisco Giants with 40 wins. So uh, the Dodgers, that's some division. Check out this division, folks. The NL West, San Francisco Giants have 40 wins. L.A. Dodgers have 39 wins. And the San Diego Padres have 38 wins. So that'll certainly be a battle all the way uh, to the end of the season, those three teams. Um, ironically, the three California teams, San Francisco, L.A., and San Diego. Uh, and then over in the Central, in the National League, at the Milwaukee Brewers and the Chicago Cubs fighting it out. Both have 38 wins. Uh, as, as we talked about earlier, at the Mets and the Phillies and the Braves, probably, uh, in that division. Um, so... And then in the AL West, you got the Oakland Athletics at 40 and 27. And probably Houston Astros have a chance to take that division as well. They'll probably fight it out. And uh, it'll be interesting baseball scenes. Nice to have baseball back. Nice to have people in the stands again. It's like a normal baseball game now when you turn it on. And uh, I'm in a happy chipper mood as a New York Mets fan because we are um, right now, today, it's only June, a playoff team. But we have a long way to go. They've got to play a lot of really good baseball uh, to hold on to the NL East. Okay, folks, so we're winding down. We've got a couple of minutes left on the show. Uh, if anybody wants to squeeze in a call, it's 636-0110. Uh, we had a good chat tonight. We talked about uh, the transfer portal, which we've talked about all season, and how there's 580 college athletes in men's basketball, Division One. That's 35% of the, of the players in the transfer portal. Um, have not found a team to play for yet, and if they don't find one soon, then they can't go back to their previous school. Uh, these young uh, athletes might find their way out of Division One basketball for a year, uh, maybe to junior college, maybe to Division Two, maybe take a year off. So that's pretty frustrating for those players. They probably shouldn't have put their name in the portal. Uh, as one high school basketball coach told me, uh, the mistake a lot of these players made, particularly this 580 players, that can't seem to find the team is they didn't have a plan. And what he what he meant by that was if you're gonna go into the transfer portal, number one, you better know that your team will take you back if you don't leave. Or number two, you know there's a team out there that wants you. Um, now you might say to me, well, how would they know somebody wants them because teams weren't supposed to contact them? Well, if you don't think teams find third party ways to contact players in the transfer portal, uh I got a bridge to sell you in Brooklyn. So they certainly do get contacted behind the scenes. Maybe the NCAA should crack down on it more, but a lot of the stuff happens by second, third, and fourth parties. But uh, you feel bad for these 580 kids that might not play Division I basketball because they made a bad decision with the transfer portal. 
We talked about what's going on at college campuses right now in the summer rules and how uh, the players are in summer school taking classes and they're allowed to have eight weeks of summer training on campus with coaches. Uh, and each week they're allowed eight hours of mandatory training with coaches. Uh, everything from playing on the court to skill instruction to strength and conditioning. So college basketball is happening right now on every Division One campus in America. Uh, they're practicing in these summer months and then they'll go back to college in September and they'll continue uh, to practice. And then we spent a lot of time tonight uh, talking about the key players that uh, may still come back to college basketball this year. They currently have their names in the NBA draft. We're not sure what they're going to do yet. So hope you enjoyed the show. I certainly did. Thank you to our callers, Peter DiBiase, Peter DiBiase and Michael Maysano, our NBA analyst who did a great job. I'm Jim Maysano. This is College Hoop Chat. We'll be back next week. Have a great week, everyone. Bye-bye.